type A people, kind of people like you and I, a lot of what drives us is we're not happy with the way things are. Mm -hmm. But if you let that mindset pervade everything, then you never really enjoy what you have. Mm -hmm. So it's a really interesting tightrope to balance kind of, you know, as physical therapists, as athletes, as human beings, how do we hold these two opposing, seemingly opposing ideas in our heads simultaneously and not kind of fall apart? Hello everybody, Zach Couples here and folks, we talk a lot on this podcast about all things movement and performance and whatnot, but what about having a life outside of that that supports you pursuing your health, fitness, and learning goals? How are you doing there? Do you have systems in place to ensure that you're spending the most amount of time learning, that you're dispersing your energy in places that uplift you as opposed to drain you? These are many of the things that we talk about on today's podcast with my dear friend, Tim Richard. And this one's a little different because we flipped the script a little bit and he interviewed me, but it was more of a really good conversation, and I think you're going to like it. Things that we're going to talk about today, how I structure training, why time management is a bunch of baloney, why passion is totes my goats overrated and you should focus on this instead. What is this? Stay tuned. Check it out. Um, how I learned from the biggest failure in my life, what that is, how to balance pushing yourself yet also being satisfied with life organizing movement, so much more. I think you'll really like it. Show notes for this, and there's a ton of show notes because we talk about a lot of different books and things like that, will be found on zackcouples.com forward slash Tim. Otherwise, give it a shot. I understand we're going to flip the script today. That's what you tell me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Although I hope it's a little bit of a conversation because I think we're, uh, we're reading a lot of the same things, mainly because I... I send you the propaganda that I want you to consume <laughs> to read. Almost so. entirely Topo Chico related. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, well, yeah, man. No, I'm excited to. Uh, it's a little weird. It's been a to be interviewed in my own place. It's kind of like. Do you ever feel let let someone else drive your car? Sure. And you're in the passenger side, and it's not like it's a bad thing. <laughs> some people are driving it. It is a bad thing, and you know who you are. Um, but it does feel like. I know it's it's different. Yeah, well, I, listen. You have now parked the car, got mm -hmm. out to the other side, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna try to not to you know drive us down a ditch. That's all right. Yeah, I'm gonna do my best here. Yeah, yeah. Well, fortunately, we don't have to worry about snow too often here <laughs> in uh, Las Vegas, so we should be okay. We won't have to get dug out. So, my man, I thought we could start with your own training, and I'm wondering if you could describe the last workout that you personally did. Well, that would have been yesterday. Okay. I trained mostly at night after work. And what did we do? Yesterday was chin-up day. Oh. So um, I do some That's vision. why you're busting out of the shirt today. Pow! Yeah. Exactly. So I uh, start with vision exercises because I did some uh, vision therapy. So okay. I'm just trying to maintain my visual skills that I currently struggle with, which are uh, the ability to diverge. Okay. So divergence is the eyes moving apart. So you basically stretch them out, which is kind of like ER of the eyes, if you can think about it that way, Trippy. which is expansion. Sure. And guess who doesn't have that? Yeah, boy. Same thing with everyone else. Um, so I do some moves to work on divergence, but then focusing within the divergence, which is accommodation. I spend a few minutes doing that. And then my warm up, I kind of do the same thing. I just roll around on the ground for a while, do just a few <laughs> moves to, uh, yeah, I just literally, uh, they were finishing class at Elevate, and uh, <laughs> Francis is like, don't worry about the ninja who works here in the background, um, which is funny. So just warm up and then... Just my, some spinning flying kicks. Yeah, something yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like three sets of five. Nunchucks. Sure. Yeah, yeah of course. course. I, I saw those in your office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to yeah. ask about that. Yeah. Well, you didn't see the machete, though, which I do have. <laughs> that's, that's true. And uh, so once I do that, then I do my main move for the day, which yesterday I, I do like a post-activation potentiation combo. So I'll do med ball throws up against the wall, rotational style, and then chin-ups with some weight. Usually like in the three to six rep range, do that until I can't do that anymore. And then I end up doing, uh, pushing a, a lower, 
I think I did trap bar squat and overhead press. Okay. Yep, um, with a barbell. Oh, and then, look at you. I know, right? Barbell overhead pressing. That's been a goal of yours for a while. Yeah, it actually looks good. Nice. Like I've had someone, because before my ribs would just go. Sure, yeah, you know, yeah. Your boy doesn't have shoulder flexion. But it's not bad. And uh, then I usually do like a circuit of some, you know, like a, something single leg. I did like a single leg squat off a box. Uh, I do. I did push-ups, did a one-arm dumbbell row, and then uh, like the body saw. Okay. So I did a circuit of that, which is, you know, whatever reps I need. Yeah, yeah. And then sometimes I'll follow with conditioning, but I did my favorite conditioning yesterday, which is kicking my man Francis's ass and spike ball. Boom, you heard it, internet. <laughs> we usually play spike ball once a week, and we uh, we have some good competition. We both have gotten, like, we, we did this thing where we were just playing spike ball one-on-one for months because we both sucked. Sure. We didn't tell anyone. One-on-one spike ball. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 weird. Yeah. But it's fun. Um, and so Francis was killing me. And I can't have that happen because I hate losing. Sure. In all things. Yep. So I'm like consuming YouTube videos <laughs> and figuring out how to serve. And so now I can serve Just with both walking hands. Walking around with the spike ball at all times. Yeah. Feel for it. Yeah. And so now now I it, it, we, we have some great games and we're just like hitting it way good. And we finally played two on two, not together, but it was like way more competitive than we ever did. So. Right on. That was like my skill that I learned. And that was my training session. How do you think kind of in the macro about structuring your own training? Like, do you have short, medium, long-term training goals and you kind of periodize to accomplish those? Or are you more like a fly by the seat of your pants kind of guy? I have my main moves that I alternate between. So what stays the same, and I got this, it's the Mass Effect program from Daddy O Pops himself, Bill Hartman. Okay. Just with some slight modifications like... I'll my I'll do one lift, so like that was the chin ups in the four to six rep range, and then the next two lifts will be six to eight and then ten to twelve respectively. You do that until you fatigue out of those rep ranges, and then I just do, you know, two to three rounds of whatever else I feel like I need, which can be like eight to twelve reps. And if there's a day I need to condition, I'll do that. If I want to do some extra arm farm, I do that. So the three mains are there I keep trying to get better at them but the sure. other stuff just varies depending on what I'm feeling because my, my main goal training wise is just to look good naked essentially okay um, and, and maintain decent body comp I like no more no more fat Zach yeah fat Zach is done that guy's not coming he back he is done that guy was fun though he was fun yeah he had the beard he's like a <laughs> young Santa couldn't touch his toes yeah, yeah definitely couldn't squat I still can't touch my toes but I can squat now um so yeah, and then like you know, you mentioned like periodization. I need to train enough that I someone can take me seriously from a movement standpoint. You know, it's kind of like looking the part. Sure. When you're when you're being a PT, because I do think that that matters. Yeah. To some extent. Yeah. And uh, you know, but like right now, the highest priority is work, teaching, all that stuff, learning the craft, and so you know, that's always going to be the A one for right now the the a1 of life mm-hmm. yeah it's your yeah. a2 of fitness yeah <laughs> sure yep so I, I think that's a excellent segue to the next question i wanted to ask you which is you gifted me the scott adams book mm-hmm. about five or six months ago yeah something like how to how fit, to fail at everything and still win and big still win big. one of the best books ever and in it he talks a lot about this myth of time management and argues that time isn't necessarily the resource that we should be seeking to manage but it's instead energy mm-hmm. and that in managing your own energy and taking on projects that seem to give you energy rather than drain them or tackling endeavors that seem to increase energy you can get a lot more done versus just trying to very efficiently kind of micromanage your own time so you're one of the most kind of efficient, effective, prolific people that I personally know within our field. Do you think about this energy management concept? Is that something that kind of lets you do the amount of work that you do? Sometimes. Like there's some things that I just, especially now that I'm older and I realize. Towards the end of your life, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know. Um, I, I realize that it's very easy to waste time on frivolous things. And I try to do my best to minimize that now. Um, but but I think because I have a little bit more freedom to do that now, I, I can. Like yeah. For example, I you know 
couple of years ago, I had the shackles of student loans. So it's like, sure. I'll take on anything <laughs> I can do to try to, to manage that. But, but I do think about that when I'm thinking about things that don't bring joy into my life, like social media, for example. Sure. I try to stay off that as much as humanly possible. Um, because it does take energy, even answering texts. Like I'm, yeah. I'm horrendous about getting back to people via text message or phone calls because I eliminated notifications on that. Because even that takes energy out. Yeah. Um, you know, even being around certain people who suck the life out of you, that, like you. the black hole type. Of yeah. Individual. Yeah. 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 Walking like, with your joy and it just like a dementor in Harry Potter. I don't know oh, Harry come Potter on, all that man. well. I know my sister. Like is probably disowning me because I've never watched Harry Potter. She's a huge fan. But I just again, I don't have the, I don't want to take the time <laughs> and energy to do that. Um, but I also, at the same time, I do think time management to some extent is important as well because, um, you know, sometimes you have to, you might have to do things that are energy draining, but they help move the needle a lot more right. forward. Um, I believe, does he talk about following your passion as well and how that's BS? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Passion. And I've probably had that conversation with like 10 people mm -hmm. over the past week. Yeah. That like passion is fleeting. It's, you know, rocket fuel, but it's not actually going to sustain you over yeah. the long run. I think, and that's, I mean, that's an incredibly counterintuitive is the wrong word, but it's, it opposes a lot of advice that you conventionally hear. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, what you have to do, and there's another good guy you should read, and I might have an extra book I'll give it to you. you MJ DeMarco. Okay. He wrote The Millionaire Fast Lane and Unscripted. He talks about that as well in the sense that, like, you don't want to do things that you're passionate about. You want to do things that are going to have a positive impact on the world and, and change things forever. And then if you do that and you, and you make enough money from that, you eventually will become passionate right. about it because yeah. you're, you're making an impact. Yeah. You know, I I love video games, but I'm not gonna be making money playing video games unless I, you know, you have like a, a Twitch. Tw yeah, that's a I should. Yeah, man. Yeah, you can make money playing video games. I was now, thinking crap. of both Twitch and OnlyFans, and I'm like, is there a way to combine those those mm. concepts and maybe have people pay you yeah. to watch you play video games in a reduced amount of clothing? Yeah. Well, you know what I'm thinking. Like the uh, there's that Sean Connery. You ever see like Sean Connery? He was in like this. It was like a, it was like a thaw. It was like the thing that Steve-O used to wear. Okay. There's a similar to like the the Borat getup. Yes. Yeah. Okay. There's a picture of Sean Connery with his long hair, hairy chest, wearing one of those things okay. from an old movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we could do that possibly in playing. And folks, Zach has money. acquired that exit now. If this gets ten thousand likes, <laughs> I'll consider it. Um, but so even with that, sure you can make money with that, but. Twitch is not gonna change the world, and sure. I I want to try to make the little world that I'm in, that we're in, a better place in that sense, and that's really the crux of what I do. Is that's why I try to take complex things and simplify them, so most people can carry it out. Um, you know, like I have a lot of good friends who are really smart, but they might not be able to devote the time and energy to diving deep into topics because maybe they got kids to worry about sure. and, and all this stuff. And well, they still have patients to take care of. Yeah. And so if I can help that person get better a little bit faster, then I think we all win. Yeah. I mean, and is doing that something that you find gives you more energy than it drains or, or drains kind of a minimal amount of energy? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I could teach talk all the time. Like, I love that. Go. Or like yeah. even doing these podcasts. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so much fun and then it's just time flies by. Because then it's also you're just interacting with people. Yeah. And uh, also real live people. I know, right? That's which why. Is a trip. Yeah. Well, and after, man, the fiasco I had editing the one that we did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, you have no idea how long it took <laughs> to sync everything because sure. of the the delay from Zoom. I don't want to do remote. And in fact, I won't do any more remote yeah. interviews unless yeah. I get like, I don't know, Michael Jordan or something. Yeah. And then I would probably remote interview him. I, is that him knocking on your door right now? Yeah. <laughs> No, that's uh, Scotty Pippen. So. <laughs> um, so yeah, man. I mean, I that's a, probably a long-winded tangent of. No, but I mean, it's useful. I think mm -hmm. along the same lines of that book, you know, 
it, it's in the title that mm-hmm. he's amassed a massive amount of failures mm-hmm. and yet still is an extraordinary success. Mm-hmm. Thinking about kind of your own life professionally in the past five or 10 years, what are some of your favorite failures? Uh, professional basketball. Okay. Yeah. Say more. Yeah. Well, I think the the, the thing that I had going into that was, um, you know, you get into pro basketball. It's yeah. kind of a big deal. Yeah. And I probably let that get to my head a little bit. I think I had a little bit of uh, Dunning a Kruger effect kicking okay. in. Even though, like, I, I still would say back then, I was a pretty good practitioner. Uh, I'm much better now. Um, but I think I let that get the best of me that I was in that setting. And while I don't think, I can't say that that's why I was let go or, or fired, as I like to very bluntly say, because that's what it would happen. Um, but after that happened, this was the first time I ever got fired from a job. It completely flipped everything, and I did a lot of soul searching during that time period. Um, you know, and there were four books that I read that just like changed everything. I bet for I me. know one of them. Which one? Extreme Ownership. That was definitely one of them. Yeah. Good. That was one. Um, Obstacles Away, Ego is the Enemy, both by Ryan Holiday, mm-hmm. and then The Subtle Art of Not Giving Yeah. Up by Mark Manson. Yep. I read those four and that's kind of when I realized my behaviors, my issues were the problem. And I was able to do things to flip that and um, you know, just be more be more humble, reacquire the beginner's mindset, uh, interact better with with peers and people who I'm working with, and it really made a big difference. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that that I was out of that situation. And I think it pushed me towards more of what I really like, which is this. Um, and, and the fact that now I have a bit more <laughs> freedom and flexibility than I did in the league um, was huge. It's probably the biggest failure that has flipped things for me. Yeah, the biggest kind of failure upwards. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. It, it just, it, it takes getting down to a really big low, I think, to to go up to the, the next level. Yeah. Subtle Art of Giving a Fuck is a great book. Yes. Like no matter where you are in your life or mm-hmm. where you are relative to kind of the most adjacent struggle that mm-hmm. either you have just faced or you're about to face, mm-hmm. it's just excellent preparation for that. Yes, it is. Have yeah. you read his second one, uh, Everything Is? <sighs> no. I read Models. That was his first one, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, a little bit of different subject matter. Yeah. Uh, everything is really good. It He talks about... He it's called about, everything. Everything is fuck. everything. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I don't say the f word because we could get demonetized for that, but I'll probably bleep it. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. got to make a little bit of money. <laughs> um, but he talks about how to uh, why he talks about like hope and um, like uh, amorphati, which is like things are as they are. I mean, it's just very Buddhist. Sure. Um, and he talks about how to build a religion actually okay and how zachology something like that yeah, yeah. um and it's just like really fascinating in that sense is it, i don't think it's as good as subtle right um but there are some things in there that i i'm rereading it right now actually i was like oh yeah that was really good yeah um so i'd definitely check it out give it a shot if you haven't read that one it's, I, subtle was such a game changer mm-hmm. going back to something that we discussed like removing things in your life that are not really serving you mm-hmm. that are just and a lot of times you know the hard truth is those are people and probably people yeah. that you've known a really long time um and you know if, if, if you can't kind of reflect back on your own life and make a decision about which people you're spending time with mm-hmm. you're liable to get trapped in a lot of trapped is probably a strong word but waste Sometimes, waste the resource of energy on relationships that aren't getting you, yeah. you know, where, to where you want to go is that something you ever struggled with like when you knew you had to, you had to move on from a situation or a person yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think personally and professionally. Yeah. Professionally is probably more of an appropriate context to talk about. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, the job I took right out of school, being a director of rehab in rural Colorado, kind of similar to the positions that you had when you were in what Susanville and then Page America. That was travel PT. That was travel, but similar. I, but like, I was in a, uh, a prof- in a leadership role. Yeah. In, in Arizona. 
but you know, it was, that was so nice because it was lucrative. It was flexible. I think I could still do a lot of the things that I wanted to, cause it was a three day work week. Mm-hmm. Like in a lot of ways it was the perfect situation, but it didn't have any upward trajectory to it. Like yeah. I was kind of, I started at the ceiling yeah. and I'm still, I'm, I'm immensely grateful that I had that opportunity. And I think it changed me for the better in many ways. But you know, mm-hmm. after my, my three years and change out there, I knew it was I knew it was time to do something else, something that had a little bit more of an avenue for growth. Yeah. It's hard when you get comfortable like that because totally. then you you the chance of getting stagnant is significantly higher. And so you always got to put yourself in slightly uncomfortable positions I think to really grow. Yeah, it's a really interesting juxtaposition. I mean, that's something I think about all the time that, you know, type A people, kind of people like you and I a lot of what drives us is we're not happy with the way things are. Mm-hmm. But if you let that mindset pervade everything, then you never really enjoy what you have. Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting tightrope to balance kind of, you know, as physical therapists, as athletes, as human beings, how do we hold these two opposing, seemingly opposing ideas in our heads simultaneously and not kind of fall apart? Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> that's really hard. Yeah. Because I would say I, I tend towards more of the, I don't want to say fall apart, but I definitely let that bleed into areas that it shouldn't bleed into. Yeah. You know? Some things in life are just fine, and they're they're okay the way they are. They don't yeah. need to be optimized. Yeah. There are some things, too, that you've got to just keep pushing. Absolutely. I mean, that's how that's how people do great things. Yeah. You know, you're not going to just get this great opportunity, you know, kind of plopped in your lap. For sure. Yeah. How do you find the balance? You probably are better than me. I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't think I have a really good answer. I, I was talking to a mutual friend that we have, Aileen Thompson. Mm-hmm. Shout out, Aileen. In Denver. Yo, what up, girl? Level Up Rehab. Yep, Aileen, she's awesome. And she was mentioning this friend that she has, and he is an incredibly like high-powered tech broker of some type, like makes you know boatloads of money. Mm-hmm. And But he's a really, really good chef. Hmm. And he says that the second he no longer has time to cook each day, that's the line in the sand that he draws mm. between that. That means he's striving too much. Mm-hmm. That means he's packing so much into his day that he can't just enjoy what he already has, which is yeah. quality time, doing something good for himself, for his family, for his children. And I think, you know, for me, that 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 really hit home. Like, I really I love to cook as well. Um, I have an Australian shepherd, Molly. She's all over my Instagram. Mm-hmm. Shout out, Molly. <laughs> but like, if, if I can't like play Frisbee with her, if I can't take 10 or 15 minutes to do that, like that's another you know, like I, I just want that to be built into my day to day. And then if I can maintain these things and then continue to strive and see certain life, you know, key performance indicators trending in the right direction, mm-hmm. I'm doing an okay job. That's something I probably struggle with because I'm thinking about, like, as you were saying that, I'm like, that's brilliant. Like everyone needs to find their, their cooking. And I don't know what mine is. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's working out. Yeah. Probably not in our industry because I think, you know, we are the people that mm-hmm. will probably sacrifice in order to train and train at very inconvenient times. But yeah. I think for 99% of the American population, that's one of the early things to go. Yeah, that's very reasonable. Yeah. I See, I can't fathom not having that. Like, it's so automatic oh, yeah. at this point that there, there was one time where maybe I didn't work out. And, like, I'll notice it one day. If I had a planned workout and I can't do it, I'm mm-hmm. just... Yeah, but I've never gotten to the point where I've worked so much that I've had to cut that out. And you do it, and it's it's like a fucking superpower. Yeah, right. Yeah, a bleeping superpower. Sorry, that's all right. I'll bleep out afterwards. You're but make y- me edit more. But you're you know you go about the rest of your day supercharged, knowing yeah. that you've done something that's probably more difficult than ninety percent of the people that you're going to interact with have completed that day. Yeah, especially for people like I'm a big morning trainer. Really? Yeah I, yeah, I love to train at like 6 a.m. Mm. or 7 a.m. Oh. And that's that's recent. Um, that's yeah. as I've gotten older. But yeah. I just, you know, in terms of the Scott Adams concept of adding energy to your life, it's like mm-hmm. that is something that so acutely drains you of energy and yet so quickly fills you right back up. Yeah. It is interesting how that works, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's like coffee, but better. Yeah. Well, coffee's really good. <laughs> coffee is really good. Yeah. I'm a tea guy. Are you really? Yeah. Puerti and mate. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tim Ferriss got me going on that. Oh, nice. My, my close personal friend, Tim Ferriss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on next. The, 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 <laughs> second, the second best looking Tim I He's know. He's got a great head of hair. Mm. I love his haircut. 
Yeah. You know, I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question now, but how do you keep your head so shiny? Um, it's a healthy diet. Okay. That's yeah, yeah. the key. Yeah. yeah I think or wild so. salmon? Yeah. Okay. Lots of salmon. And um, I keep it trimmed for the most part as best as I can. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think those are really the key. Do keys. a little bit of like grass-fed beef tallow in there? <laughs> I should. I should. Because <laughs> keto. Yeah, because keto. Yeah. Uh, there's this keto milk at the store. Have you ever seen have you Cow's seen milk? That? No, it's uh, coconut. But they have different flavors. Wouldn't that just be coconut milk? Is it yeah, coconut well, milk got without like, sugar or keto? Yeah, but it's flavored like cinnamon roll and stuff like that. Okay. I don't, I'm not keto, obviously, so I don't yeah, yeah, yeah. mess with that. But yeah. it looks tasty. Like you said, I'm not keto like it's a religion. <laughs> <laughs> I gave up keto for Lent one year, and I've been going strong since. <laughs> I started to eat carbs, you know. Yeah, yeah. carbs are wonderful. They really are. Yeah, I'm a big fan. When timed appropriately. I think you can have a more than you'd think. Yeah, fair For enough. me, at least. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, uh, shout out to my nutrition coach, Georgie Fear, who's awesome. Um, she's allowed me to really get back into eating a lot of carbs, and I feel really good. And not just like white rice, because that's what I was doing before, because I was dealing with gut issues. Sure. But like, I have pancakes in the morning. Oh, hell yeah. Like whole wheat, uh, yeah, french fries baked and all that yeah um, pretty much everything and yeah. it's weird like because i think in our field you know when you're when you're in the know but you're not in in the know it's like i gotta go gluten-free gotta go paleo gotta go all this yeah and uh now i eat cookies twice a week and yeah um i'm leaner than i've ever been hell yeah so you're familiar with mark sisson right mm-hmm. mark's daily apple like mm-hmm. he you know he has like the i think it's like the 80 or the 90 percent rule it's like 80 or 90 percent mm. of your meals ought to be exactly what they should be for your health goals. Interesting. And then, you know, 10 to 20% of the time, you kind of just F off. Yeah. And I find that to be incredibly useful because, like, yeah. we live in a in a society in 2021, and you and I interact with plenty of people that aren't in the health and fitness space. Yeah. And, you know, you go out, you have a couple beers, you have some wings. If you're 100% keto or paleo or, like, raw vegan, that – you know, that sojourn into conventional American diet is going to break you. Oh, yeah. Your body's just not used to it. Yeah. It's it's like, it would be like if you don't ever run and then all of a sudden you go and run 10 miles or something. Yeah. Not reckon That running stuff will get you. That yeah, will kill worst. you. That's the worst. Yeah. It's yeah. probably why I'm bald. <laughs> Maybe. Because I used to run so much. Yeah. Meb Kofleski is quite bald. He is. I think all the really good runners are. Yeah, yeah. I just oh, never. That, that could be like an East African thing as well. Could be. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like in a... your case as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like a third of the way there. <laughs> just the bald part, not fast and not East African. <laughs> I wanted to change gears slightly and and get into something a little bit more technical, mm-hmm. and that's movement self organization. So you and I are both physical therapists. We commonly. Yeah see people that present with, you know, particular movement behaviors or positions. And I think one of the most pervasive ideas in our industry is that there's a bad posture or a bad position, Mm -hmm. right? Like extension, anterior pelvic tilt, rotation, what have you. Forward head. Sure. Yeah. My My favorite. Eye contact with the camera there. Yep. so I think there's this idea that there are these bad postures and people have bad postures and well, just swap it out for a good posture and they're going to be good to go. Mm-hmm. Something you and I have talked about before is these postures, positions, movement behaviors emerge in order to solve a particular problem, mm-hmm. to manage gravity, to breathe, um, to better prepare you for a training stressor that you've experienced before. Mm-hmm. So I guess, how do you think about replacing a less than ideal movement behavior or pattern with a better one Mm -hmm. because that's kind of what we do with these resets with these drills to regain mobility and how do you think about making that intervention like quote unquote sticky enough Mm -hmm. so that a person doesn't revert back as quickly as possible Mm. I don't think it's replacing one for another I think the key is giving more options okay so for example if we go with like the forward head i'm sitting at the chair for an extended period of time um you know you do that long enough something might get cranky just because of tissue ischemia or whatever Uh, at the same time if you sit perched upright and have a good posture uh, 
Um, and you hold that long enough, you could probably run into similar issues. But if you can get into each of those and a bazillion more, well, well, then you're never really overloading any specific areas. And I think it makes you more adept to surviving in several different environments. And I think really that's the key. I and mean, that's like what movement variability is all about is sure. you need as many different ways to perform the task as possible, uh, even if you're getting the same consistent output. So like if I did 10 squats, and even though they looked exactly the same to the naked eye, if I have true movement variability, there should be subtle differences with each right. one of those squats. But it's when I don't have those options available that problems ensue. Yeah, and both coordinative and endpoint variability. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's really where the money is. Now, how do we get that to stick? It's basically finding, getting people into positions that they can't normally get into or struggle maintaining into, and then being able to demonstrate that at progressive intensities and complexities. So for example, you know, if we, if we look at you, and, and you know, because we worked together for a minute, in the beginning, we started with some simple drills, um, you know, some single leg positions, more supportive, really emphasize breathing, you know, and look at where you're at when we worked together the other day. Yeah. Now we're giving you loaded base strategies. Just kicking ass, taking names. Same, yeah, yeah. Getting you a ridiculous pump. But the thought process is still there because you have the same needs. But can you maintain the positions that we had you get into that will get you those needs under higher intensities and yesterday you did and and i like that it's just it's it's incredibly intriguing to me this notion that human beings lose movement options either via physical structure or secondary training adaptations mm -hmm. lifestyle factors and then it kind of you know and and i say this as a physical therapist who makes these changes on a daily basis it shocks me that anything that we do has the power to override whatever stimulus came before mm -hmm. to lead to that decrease in variability. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because like, you're looking at reps, time, all that stuff. Right. Let's think, I mean, it's almost, you know, to think anything in the gym could actually have that prolonged of an effect. I mean, it also brings up the issue of, you know, in a perfect world, nobody would need activities to regain movement options mm -hmm. that would be the goal right you just walk into the gym and you train and your body adapts to the training with no deleterious secondary consequences that's obviously not the world that we live in yeah. but it's it does seem like some people need a far less vol you know far far lesser volume of these reset low level type type of activities sure. and they can kind of progress away from that over time yeah. whereas some people for whatever reason you know need that consistent manual therapy stimulus or consistent sure. low level stimulus yeah. in order to make these changes stick yeah well i think the key is the body has to deem it meaningful and novel and salient and i'll give you an example if let's say let's say something you witness something terrible happen you know anything I, you know you, you could like something of 9-11 proportions and it happened right before your eyes you would remember that for the rest of your life and it might be just one moment one instance right and it that that could shape and shift everything that you thought before that um, and I remember when I, when I listened to Lorimer Mosley, he was talking about, or I think my buddy Eric was talking about how taking NSAIDs could impair learning. And Lorimer gave the analogy, if someone shot a gun right by you, you would remember that that happened, even if you were dosed up on NSAIDs. Sure. So if it's meaningful and novel enough, and I give you know, dramatic examples, but if it's meaningful and novel enough, I think it could still lead to long-lasting changes. Right. Right. Now, does that mean like you know the, the equivalent of you doing quadruped breathing is, you know, something like witnessing a horrific event? No. But your body might deem it novel and meaningful enough that it does remember that and it does stick for some people. Yeah. Um, so, my, my point by bringing that up is we just don't 
know what's going to cause the issue to stick, whereas some people might need the continual reinforcement over and over and over again yeah. to get meaningful change. Something that um, like David Gray and, and Gary Ward, mm-hmm. we'll link them in the show notes. Yeah, what should we find out? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, talk about all the time is, you know, essentially that same thing, putting people in positions, but then if the nervous system likes that position, Mm -hmm. it'll remember that position. And there's no need to revisit it as long as that's what it reaches for the next time it tries to solve a particular like environmental or movement task. Mm -hmm. And that kind of makes some sense to me, because if we think again about the genesis of these like maladaptive postures and positions, they are trying to solve a problem, Mm -hmm. get air in, maintain your ability to view your monitor while you're sitting in a chair. They mm-hmm. don't emerge for no reason. Everybody, this is a Seth Oberst quote, but everybody's body is mm-hmm. doing exactly what it needs to do. Yeah. Mm, uh. Yeah. That's a Seth. That's also a Seth Oberst quote. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. When he's working, as I've worked with Seth, <laughs> like if you're doing something and it's good, he's like, mm, yeah, that's good. That's funny. Yeah. He's probably going to laugh at that. Although he might've stopped doing that because I gave him the glass shattering <laughs> moment that he does that. I thought you were going to lead into like a Hanson song there, like the mbop. Oh, yeah. I haven't thought of Hanson in a long time. There you go. Yeah. The 90s were a weird time. They, they were a great music time, though. The 90s were our 60s, as I like to say. <laughs> Potentially. Music-wise? Oh, yeah. No yeah. question. Yeah. It's a lot of good stuff. Hey, listen, I, I respect your opinion, but you're wrong. What do you, what that kid do you think is better? <laughs> I'm a big EDM guy, so I think, um, I think like, so you're like the, early 2000s, probably. Uh, like mid mid 2000s to maybe okay. like 2013, 2014. Yeah, yeah. All right, fair enough. But you know, different strokes yeah, for different folks. Yeah. Um, on a similar, similarly related note, you know, what you and I do with people involves a high degree of sensory motor cueing, right? Mm-hmm. We're really trying to put people in their body, have them maintain a particular position as they do an exercise. Do you, and this is a leading question, I apologize, but do you think that there's a potential dark side to sensory motor cueing in that it might put people sort of too in their own bodies if kind of left unchecked, if most of their program is find your heels, tuck your tuck your hips, breathe this particular way, shift left. Do you find yourself needing to pull that out at certain times for certain people when you design programs? Does that question make sense? Yeah. Um... I definitely think there's definitely a certain portion of people who do, who can fall victim to that. Yeah. Um, what are those people typically like? Um, As I think I know what you're going to say, but I'm interested. Yeah, it, it's they're they're almost hyper aware of everything in a, in a negative sense, and then that becomes their identity essentially. Yeah. You know, I feel twisted. I feel torqued. Um, it's the person who gives me the laundry list of anatomical terminology that they shouldn't know, but they know. Yeah. Um, that can definitely be a problem because it's almost like when they get so in tune to their bodies, they kind of focus on the negative things. So with those people, a lot of it is education. It's no, you do not have to tuck your hips with every step you take, every move you make. Because Zach's um, going to be watching you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the creepiest way possible. <laughs> From uh, a deep squat <laughs> with a really long beard. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and then just like, no, you don't have to feel your heels all the time when you walk and stuff like that. And it's educating them that, look, we're just using this as a strategy to increase your movement repertoire. And, yeah, I, I think if, if you can do that and, and frame the right mindset that can potentially mitigate some of that, um, or I think that could also be where, especially when you get to loaded activities, a focus more towards external cueing might be useful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I like that. I think something that um, Michelle Boland, Coach Bo, and I talk about frequently. Shout out to Coach Bo. Coach Bo. It is the need to have things in a program or, or in your life that just make you feel like, you know, like just kind of strong like you're a strong capable Mm -hmm. human that doesn't need to think him or herself into positions to be able to execute a task all of my practices have have always been in crossfit gyms Mm -hmm. and i think that this is something that crossfit gyms do incredibly well and you know 
no CrossFit gym is perfect, and I have my issues with the moves that are commonly prescribed, the over-reliance on barbells, but they do a really good job of getting people that, you know, haven't been doing anything intense and getting them to not fear mm-hmm. doing a hang snatch, doing a deadlift from the yeah. from the ground. And I think that's that's really impactful in a completely different way. Because mm-hmm. I think people like you and I taken to one extreme sort of become those clinicians, those mm-hmm. practitioners that you know, are really potentially propagating a lot of this like fear of movement. I definitely, that's something I definitely think about as well, because I do get people who come to me and it's like, they've learned similar things to me, but they think about it in such a negative way. Like I have to fix this anterior tilt. Well, yeah. If you're standing against gravity, you're always going to have that because that's the norm. Yeah. There's a good podcast that Doug Cheechan did with Boo Shexinator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Track Coach. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Um, where you should always be exposing them to intensity. And, and in order to produce intensity or move fast, you can't think. And relaxation is paramount. And I think if there's one thing that's probably shifted this year, it's really appreciating that. But here's and here's where I still think respecting biomechanics comes in. You have to make sure that you choose activities that are appropriate for that individual that they can execute without having um, the the risk for potentially performing it in a negative manner. So that could be doing a seated box jump, which it's almost like the constraints of the activity get them into positions that they need to. Or I've been using a lot of fake throws lately. Like in order to do a fake throw really well. To load a cut? Uh, to load a cut or just to get them rotating pain-free okay. or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, because you have to relax enough and move fast, but then you also have to stop fast. So it kind of hits everything. Or so, just med ball throws. Like, a lot of my – like, you know, even though I talk a lot about biomechanics and stuff like that, if you look at how I actually program for someone, it has all of those other elements. And I keep the concepts the same and I get I keep the – the progression's appropriate with what with what in movement options that they have available, um, but they're not always having to think. They might think about the setup, but then when they're executing the movement, I don't have to think about anything because when you are thinking, you can't move fast. That's when yeah. you get beat. Yep. That's what I like. Um, I mean, one of my favorite lifts of all time is a single arm dumbbell floor press. <laughs> For that reason, because yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. it's so like the, there's still enough range of motion mm-hmm. to load. And you can really, you can let 98% of people that would ever walk into your training facility loose on that drill and it's going to go A-OK. Yeah. And the single arm just forces some innate sense of, you know, not having the weight rotate you off your your back. It's like the goblet squats, another one. You know, it's like, it's these things that people in our industry have been doing for a really long time Mm -hmm. because they're just so damn simple Mm -hmm. and people can try hard. Like you said, relax, not Mm -hmm. think. Yeah. Or like sleds. Yeah. Med balls. Yeah. Uh, carries. Those are all, if you have someone who is not exposed to much loading, that's a great way to produce intensity and not have to think. Or, you know, man, I love machines. Yeah. Love them. I know. We know you do. Love them. In fact, one of my training is I'll load up the BFR cuffs and I'll go into my complex and just go ham on a leg press and all that. It's <laughs> great. I look good for one day of the week, and that's my day for about 20 minutes. Got a sick leg pump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just the veins, all Busting that. Busting out of your khakis. Exactly. Yeah, out yeah. of your chinos. Yes. <laughs> then they're Lulu, of course. Hashtag Lulu everything. Four-way stretch is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I got one more question to end on. Let's get it. If that's all right. So this is actually from Coach Bo, Michelle Bolin. But she wanted you to speak to your journey in regards to – your communication style. Mm. So kind of how you arrived at your current strategy for how to best communicate with probably both your clients and colleagues. I think Mm. this has a tie-in to the favorite failure question from Mm. before. Mm -hmm. And I think you've already kind of started to hit at at some of those points, but how has that changed over the the past five years? A lot. Um, I was for a while obsessed with learning about how to best interact with people. Okay. And I think... I was a pretty shy kid growing up, quiet, uncertain of myself, but I found that whenever you got someone else talking, uh, people would end up really liking you. Dale Carnegie. 
Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. He, what, I forget what the phrase is that he says in his book. There's another. Is it be interested, not interested? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. There's this other quote I heard somewhere where this woman had met like these two higher ups in English government. And she talked to them about the first one. And she's like, when I talked with this person, I thought he was the most interesting person in all of the UK. And then she said, but when I talked to the other person, I thought I was the most interesting person in all of the right. UK. And that really hit home for me. And I try to, when I'm interacting with people, get that vibe. Sure. But at the same time, too, the issue that I've run with when I've spent all of this time learning with my interactions is in the beginning, I was just asking a lot of questions, almost interviewing people. Yeah. And sometimes that can be off-putting if, if done in that way. So to mitigate that, instead of asking a bunch of questions, there's a... There's a technique called elicitation that I've been experimenting with. Okay. Um, and now people are going to be like, how oh, is he eliciting me? But basically <laughs> it's like uh, getting information out of someone without coming off as a threatening thing. So like if I come to you, Tim, and I say, did you do this? And say you did something wrong, whatever. Your inclination might be to go on the defense. And so you might lie or you might say, well, yes, I did, but it was because of this, 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 and this, and that's not good. But if I wanted you to admit to that, I might say something or like almost like a presumptive statement. It's like, so, so what was it like when you did that? Or so you did X. Um, and almost making assumptions to try to understand the other person or inferences based on what they said. I think helps build a greater connection because it shows that you not only are listening to them, but you're also understanding where they're coming from. And I think that's really important when it comes to human interaction and what I really focus on. And here's the cool thing about it. And there's a, actually a really good book by this FBI agent that goes into this. If you're wrong about the uh, uh, assumption that the you inference. make. Yeah. The inference. The inference. Um, that still doesn't lead to a negative interaction because people are so willing to correct any mistake that you make that you'll still get the uh, interaction. Like in the book, he talks about, um, you know, if you're talking politics with someone, you might actually say someone has, I don't know, they say something and they're a Republican and you, and you make the inference like, oh, well, it sounds like uh, something you might have gotten from FDR. And they might get so adamantly, you know, taken aback. It's like, well, no, that's because Ronald Reagan did this, this, and this. And so then now you actually know their political bias and you didn't even have to ask Without them. Without a direct question. Yeah. yeah. And so I think not having direct questioning can provide a lot more useful information because when you question, it can come off as interrogation. Um, that's like some of the logistical things. But I think even more important than that is having good body language with someone. And I know we were talking about we were talking about Bill Clinton. I feel your pain. <laughs> yes, we were. Yes, we were. Yeah. Well, that was actually more Matthew McConaughey from. Uh, all right, all right, yeah, all right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, or you do the Matt Damon impersonating Matthew McConaughey. How about we all take our shirts off? That's a lot of levels. Yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty deep. Yeah, yeah. But I remember reading about him, and one of my clients knows Bill pretty well and has met him multiple times and like everything you read about bill in a positive light you know obviously he's done some questionable things but from an interaction standpoint is 100 percent true yeah. and he has five different things that he thinks about when he's interacting with someone to build a rapport and it's eye contact which is a great nonverbal um, close proximity is another one using the person's name that's some straight up Carnegie yeah, whether yeah. you're facing them or not um, and then touch okay so yeah so like now if you do all of that at once that can be, be a bit much that can be a bit much yeah but if you're alternating between all of those or among all of those variables you can you can build an intimate connection with someone um, and have good rapport and so when I'm interacting with someone, I do think about those things. Not so overtly that it's like, okay, let's hit point number five. And, yeah. yeah. But, initiating physical contact. Yes. Physical yes. contact initiated. Yes. yes. Mirroring complete. Um, but those are things I think about incorporating whenever I'm interacting with someone. Yeah. You know, and there's a reason why 
I try to sit on people's left most of the time, aside from it makes my neck more comfortable. And that's because the right hemisphere of your brain is where your emotional centers are. So in theory, if I'm sending more information to that side, sure. I could potentially build a greater emotional bond with you. Yeah. And so it, and, and it makes it feel, you know, and you might be hearing this and it's like, oh gosh, this just sounds like every interaction Zach's making is just this calculated thing. But, but it's not that it, it's not, if it's genuine, like, I think the reason why I dove into that so much is because I just wanted to connect with people, you know? Yeah. I think it, uh, back in my younger days, I was not in the best place mentally, um, shy, and I didn't want that because human connection is something that we crave. So if you can do anything that maximizes that, so it's beneficial for both parties or all parties involved, I don't, I don't think there's anything malicious about that. And it's something we should practice. It's a skill just like anything else. You know? And it's it's intentional until it becomes automatic. Yes. And then it becomes automatic because, frankly, a lot of those things are probably some of the best ways to connect with people. Yeah. And I'm right there with you. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think 90% of the reason why I do what we do is the ability to connect with people. Yeah. I used to think it was the biomechanics, and it's, no. it's not. Like, yeah. that evolves. That changes. Yeah. But that connection. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're, we're in kind of rarefied air in terms mm-hmm. of healthcare practitioners. Yeah. And that's why... I always wax and wane with manual therapy, but I always come back to it to some extent because yeah. touch is a form of connection. Yep. And uh, you know. and it's it's proximity without threat, mm-hmm. right? It's not a du- like direct. It's not this interview type of vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Although we have a good ninety degree angle situation going on right do, now, do. and there's yeah. a reason for that. So, and especially too, this is an interesting a, a little difference between the sexes. Um, if you're, if women, when they're interacting with each other, they generally face each other. And, and that's probably because, um, they're generally more social creatures than us. They have more agreeableness and things of that nature. So if you think back to like hunter gatherer times, um, that would be a useful thing. And so that helps build more intimacy, but men who are close generally do not face each other. And the reason why that is, is because when you're, facing a man directly it almost comes off as as aggressive like you're gonna yeah. challenge someone yeah so that's why like you know bros when they're hanging out they're always like sitting yeah you know uh, right <laughs> uh and i think that there's a, a, a reason for that and so you can also you know based on uh you know whether it's someone's male or female that can also influence the interaction depending on what direction you're trying to go yeah so it's it's important it's an important thing to recognize if you're working with people yeah Dearest Michelle, I hope you like that answer. <laughs> and that's all the time we have, my man. It is. I know. I wish we had more time. Yeah. But, you know. Well, round two. Round two. Yeah. Right, well, round three. That's true. That's yeah, true. Yeah. Well, you said you're going to be coming here uh, a little bit more often to do some outdoorsy stuff. Huh? I think so. Yeah. Some excellent yeah. climbing in Las Vegas. So. There it absolutely is. Yeah. And, you know, if you ever need a couch to sleep on. This one right this here. This one does pull out. It knows my butt now. It does. Yeah. It's well acquainted. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey man, it's good, uh, good catching up. Thanks, and, um, uh, thanks for having me. Of course, thank you for interviewing me. Of course, you you made driving my car seamless. Hello.